I uh, just wrapped up eight years at a church in downtown LA called Union Church, and it's been an amazing journey. Uh, I am no LA expert. Uh, I am an expert at knowing that I don't know what I'm doing, and so I have to like rely on Jesus to help me because I was like the least likely candidate to come and pass our church in downtown LA. And even stepping on the stage, I, I feel you know there's fear and trepidation. You know, Jeremy Treat, you got Justin Buzzard, Amy Sherman, Eden Chan. He's gonna follow. I mean, these are unbelievable successful people. And then you have me. Okay, and literally, that's how I felt at age 16. I felt like everyone else is doing amazing things but me. Now, that wasn't real, really what was the reality. It's just how I felt. And I remember sitting in a room like this at age 16, actually, striving and trying to be successful as a teenager can be, and the Lord spoke to me. And so I just simply want to pray, because there just might be like one person who needs to hear one little stupid thing I say today that's going to change your life. So would you allow me to pray? God, I don't know who's here, but you do. You know names of the hundreds of people that are here in this room. You know stories, you know lives, you know tears, you know joys. And Lord, I simply pray that you'd use me in these next few moments, that you would impress upon people what they need to hear from you, Holy Spirit, not me. Holy Spirit, thank you for songs and videos and sitting around tables, Lord, today. We pray that something today would resonate within us that would call us more towards serving you and living out your joy in the city of L.A. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So it's true, like I said, at age 16, I was a suburban kid living a happy suburban life. Uh, I was captain of my sports team. I had good grades, came from a great family, and yet I wanted to end my life. I was ready just to say lights out. Because even at age 16, no matter if you're 16 or 86 or 46 or 36, you hit some point in your life and realize it just never is enough. It never is enough. And so at age 16, I was ready to end my life. And then I sat in a room like this, and God spoke to me. And he says, I have something more for you. And you might be sitting here today, and maybe you're discouraged at work or bummed out about a relationship you just broke up, or your, your resume isn't what you thought it would be, and I just hope a voice from heaven will speak within you today and to say, your life matters. You're not in L.A. by accident. You're here for a purpose. The next success was never enough. And so I just want to leave with this one question for today is, why are you in L.A.? Why are you in L.A.? Now, 70% of the workers in the United States, so that means wherever you work, if you're driving Lyft, you're working as a barista, you're in the entertainment world, 70% of U.S. workers are unhappy. That's sad. But also, by the way, it's an opportunity. (laughs) Most of the people who work around you are really unhappy. And God may have you there in that particular work in order to bring some little bit of light in places that are very dark. It's an opportunity. In fact, there's a recent article I read. It was about Harvard, uh, Harvard Business School. It was like some kind of reunion. Everyone's talking about how much money they make and what they're doing. And this one individual who is a grad of HBS who's making $1.2 million a year, and he said, I'm miserable. Why? Because no matter if you're 16 or 36 or poor or a millionaire, it's never enough, Ever. And what it shows is that millennials today, what's most important to them, yes, it's money, it's making a living, but the most important thing is meaning, purpose. And studies are showing that across every demographic, though, 
Meaning wins out over money every time. For the 70-year-old, the 60-year-old, the 50-year-old, the 20 It doesn't matter if you're a millennial or whoever. Meaning trumps money every time. When the person is alone with themselves sitting in front of the mirror and thinking about life, it's meaning. Friends, that's an opportunity for the gospel. Even if you hate your job, it's an opportunity. Because 70% of the people around you are miserable and looking for some reason to wake up the next day. It's wired within us for meaning. Now, I've been lucky enough to have a string of meaningful jobs. I went to UCLA, and I broke all the stereotypes as a short Asian science major. Thank you. So I became a public school teacher as a math teacher. I taught remedial math to calculus. I loved it. And then I got hired by Bel Air Presbyterian Church to help work with the college ministries and young adults. I was very blessed to be there in a season of of church ministry there where we saw thousands of young people discovering Christ and following him. And some of these people actually went and launched Pacific Crossroads Church some years ago. And some of the other ones went down to Orange County and launched this church called Rock Harbor Church. What an amazing thing to have this season of blessing. That was a great job. And then sometime later, I got married, and then I was recruited to a church in Newport Beach, and that's where I had the dream job. And this other dream job I had was that I got to go and support hundreds of local and global partners, mission partners, helping orphans, uh, growing food, creating jobs. And my tough job was to fly there with a $50,000 check Take a picture and say, God bless you. It was a dream job. And then, 10 years ago, Tim Keller ruined my life. You can hashtag that. Hashtag Tim (laughs) Keller ruined my life. There was a chance meeting in the Pacific Palace. Is any of you there? 2010, Tim Keller came. A couple of you were there. So I thought it was important. I got invited. I found out anyone who ever downloaded a sermon from Redeemer.net got invited to this thing. So I'm here in the Palisades. Uh, thinking I'm important, realized, oh, just because I downloaded a sermon. So I was there, and he's doing his thing, talking about city-centered ministry and city renewal. But he says, I'm here because there are two cities that are most important to me. It's New York, and the second most important city to me personally is Los Angeles. And he gave this whole great spiel about mega cities and city movements and told the story about Redeemer City LA and the City to City Network and, and all these other great stories about ministry and city center renewal happening from the, the center of a city. It was amazing talk. We're taking Q&A. Hands are raised. I'm raising my hand. No one's calling on me. This is just like high school. No one's calling on me. Call on me. Call on me. Finally, he calls on me after a half hour. And his handler, yes, he has a handler. His handler said, no, no more questions. Tim can't take any more questions. I'm heartbroken. True story. Tim Keller comes up to me. He says, what was your question? I'm so sorry we didn't have time to answer it. So I got 20 minutes with Tim Keller, right, in front of his handler. Okay, so (laughs) 20 minutes. So we had this great conversation. And so we we talked about stuff. And I said, Tim, you said that city renewal, church planting movements start in the center of a city, like in New York, right? So I said, where's the center of L.A.? He says, you know, and he does, you ever seen Tim speak? He's like, well, and he has this kind of cocks his head to the side. He's like, well, there is no center of L.A. Hashtag I stumped Tim Keller, right? You hear that? I stumped Tim Keller. He said, there isn't a city center for L.A. You have to start church planting and church renewal movements in every neighborhood 
in L.A. Because L.A. is a different kind of animal, right? I mean, right here in this room, we probably have, I bet we have at least 50 neighborhoods represented. We need city, city center in every one of those neighborhoods, church planting, church renewal movements, faith and work renewal movements. Does this make sense? Because that's just L.A. And to be honest, that's a whole other talk. That's a movement happening around the world where city centers are actually becoming more sparsely disconnected. Anyways, that's a whole other story. But either way to say we had this great conversation. Then we had this conversation about how this uh, movement happened in New York and what, how can we get this movement happen in L.A.? He says, well, in New York, is what he told me, he said, we had this particular cultural sin. And for New Yorkers, the barrier we have, it's, it's our brains, academics. We're smarter than you. And he says, so when the churches came together, we had to work with our cultural brokenness, thinking that we're better than each other. We're smarter than each other. We had to repent of like, the sin of our city. Does that make sense? For New York, it was their brain, academics. And then he said, but for L.A., I wonder what the sin is here. I said, he said, maybe because of Hollywood, it's more about being famous or our egos. And then I said, it's our brand. We care more about our brand than we care about living out the kingdom. We care more about building up our brand than lifting up his name. And when churches try to come together for these city renewal movements and church planting movements, are we willing to let go of our brand and our hashtags and our followers for the sake of us truly following the one true king? So I'm going to ask you, why are you in L.A.? Because if you're in L.A., you're going to be tempted with the core sin of my brand. I've come to build my brand. And the amazing thing is that God reached out to me through this chance meeting with Tim Keller. We had this great conversation. And Tim challenged me with this question. Would you be willing to move from Newport Beach to L.A.? Because of the importance, and he shared all these different things happening in L.A. that would be important for pastors like me and people like you to come and invest their time. And so that's what I've been doing the last eight years. And hashtag Tim Keller ruined my life is true. I was living, I was living in Irvine, like the nation's safest city. I drive a Prius. Come on. My church is two blocks from Skid Row. Like, really? Is this I was praying, God, lead me to Honolulu, Hawaii, Lord. Like, not, not downtown L.A. But you know what? Even though I wasn't prepared, I wasn't equipped, in the midst of my weakness, God provides. He's got to show up because I don't know what I'm doing, right? And I met some amazing people. And even though it was at, at the, one of the smallest churches I've ever been a part of, it's been some of the most fruitful ministry. And I want to say that because there's someone sitting here, they feel like their life is small. I have barely any followers on Instagram, and my job is stupid, whatever it is, my life is small. I'm telling you, God will take small things, and he will infuse his life in you, wherever you're at. And maybe you're meant to go on to something bigger and better. That's fine. It's not a judgment. I'm not telling everyone you have to go smaller. I'm trying to say is no matter where you're at, no matter how you feel, maybe you feel insecure sitting there right now like I did at age 16, or I did stepping on the stage next to these giants, right, these speakers, these authors, that God can use you now where you're at in your work. Offer it up to him. And so I ask that question again, why are you in L.A.? Did you come to 
get famous. This is what Tim Keller talked about. Did you come to become more important, to, to get a degree, to make money, to find a spouse, to buy a house, to raise your family, to enjoy the weather, to get famous, to make your name great, right? Those were all the things, the signs of making your name great. Did you come to L.A. to make your name great, to build your brand? Or, But what if God had brought you here to make his name great? What if God brought you here to L.A. not to build your resume or further your career or get you that certain degree, whatever it would be, but actually to glorify his name, like specifically, strategically, he actually has you in the city for a reason, to reveal his goodness, to usher in his kingdom, to share his love, to help our city flourish, like all of our great speakers are sharing. I like how Tim Keller asks it. He says, what if God brought you here not to plunder it, but to bless it? Isn't that a great term? I never use the word plunder except for pirates. God, what if God brought you to L.A. not to plunder it, but to bless it? What if God brought you to L.A. to make his name great by helping the city of angels live up to its name? And so this is something I call the 7-Eleven principle. And it comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 7 and 11. I love Jeremiah Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future of bookmarks. It's, it's in my Bible. It's highlighted. I have a magnet on my refrigerator. I even have a blanket that says it. I love that verse. But what God was teaching me through this 7-Eleven principle is don't forget verse 7, Tim. Verse 7, what verse 7? And seek the peace, prosperity, shalom of the city in which you live. And if you do that, then I will bless you. Oh, in order to get the blessings of verse 11, I need to do this work of verse 7. I need to be living in the city, offering my life in arts and as a, as a construction worker, as an entertainment leader, as a lawyer, as a student. As I live in the city for God's glory, then he promises me, Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, dressmaker. I know the plans I have for you, engineer. I know the plans I have for you, social impact investor. Plans to prosper you because you have been living in the city seeking to be a blessing. Not plundering, but blessing. The 7-Eleven principle simply says this. You don't get verse 11 until you do the work of verse 7. You don't get the blessing of God before you first are doing the work of blessing others. You get blessed as you bless others. Because God blesses his people who bless the city in which they live. And so I want to tell you a little bit about this city, and perhaps the one thing you will leave is just a little bit more love and purpose for why, God, did you bring me to L.A.? Housing prices are nuts. Don't listen to Justin. He lives in NorCal. He thinks it's cheap here, of course, but it is so expensive here. Look at the stats. It's still the most expensive city in the nation when you look at adjust for salary. It is stressful to live here. So I hope you walk away with a little bit more purpose. Wherever season you're here, one year, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is, this season, wherever you are, I love this quote, wherever you are, be. <laughs> be here. As long as you're in L.A., be here. Invest. Join a church. Tithe. Be here. Build roots. As long as you're here, be here. Now, in this next slide, I have a quote 
So cities are the art and the heart of our culture, the homes of our governments and corporations, the places where science, commerce, art, and culture collide, the vital centers where healthcare and education live, the markets of the world are centered in cities. And so we see this whole movement of power shifting from nation states and shifting to not just cities, but mega cities. There's certain kinds of cities, and LA is one of them. You know the stats, I'm going to share them really quickly. In 1800, only 3% of the world lived in an urban area. In 1950, it was 30%. And then by 2008, 50%, the first time that the world, right, population majority lived in an urban area. And they say by 2050, 67%, I up that to 75%, the latest data shows. What is that saying? The whole world is moving towards cities. There was an old stat that about 133,000 people are moving to an urban area somewhere in the world, every day. I read a more recent stat. That number is half a million people are moving to urban centers every day somewhere in the world. The whole world is moving to cities like L.A. So living in the city is a training ground, a training environment of where the whole world is moving. That's why Tim Keller was so big to get people to live closer to city centers because you're getting trained to where the world is moving. And so if you're going to do, be doing business and you get transferred to Shanghai, you're going to understand how to do ministry in Shanghai because it's all about the megacities. You lived in L.A., you understand the stress and the crowd and the expense. You get it, how to do ministry in these other cities. Now, next slide, a little bit more about L.A. The largest metro city in the world, I believe, is still Tokyo at 38 million. City of Angels is number 11, around 18 million. That number is a conglomeration of five county areas. So, you know, it's called the greater Southland of L.A. And so San Bernardino or Orange, Riverside, Ventura are included in that number because that's how you map out metro areas. It's a region. Okay, so no matter if you live in East L.A. or San Bernardino, you're from Costa Mesa, or you're from downtown L.A., we're all part of this greater, greater metro L.A. I want to give you an example in terms of what's happening in us in, in greater L.A. In downtown L.A. itself, where I served as a pastor for the past eight years, one of the fastest-growing neighborhoods. In 1998, there were 18,000 residents. By, 20, by 2008, there were 60,000. That's triple growth. And guess what's going to happen by 2040? it's going to triple again. Now, I don't know why you're in L.A., but maybe whatever church you go to in this greater Southland area, you would say, you mean there's 120,000 new people coming to a region that's only two miles in radius? Yes. What could your church do to engage with that opportunity, especially knowing that in downtown L.A., people live in apartments, and most people do. 90% of them or more aren't going to church. Hugely unchurched population, not just downtown. And I say that because part of my call and part of your call as you live in LA is to know what's happening in your neighborhood. That's what's happening in my neighborhood, but what's happening in your neighborhood? What are the trends? What are the the growth rates? What are the challenges that your own realm of influence is facing? The stats show that the young and educated are almost twice as likely than their peers without a four-year degree, to move within a three-mile area of a downtown area. Now, I would say in L.A., that means that just people who graduate from college are moving to cities like L.A. They want to be in an urban environment, wherever that would be. And so, 
At Union Church, God surprised me in this church in downtown LA where I served, this little tiny church, that God would reap incredible fruit the past eight years. And perhaps God has you somewhere small or somewhere that feels insignificant. You don't feel like your job is that meaningful. But maybe perhaps for such a time as this, God has placed you somewhere in this city because this city is so massively influential around the world that whatever season you're here for, be here. Grow, learn, lean into your career, get discipled, you know, jo join the fellows program, whatever it is this season to lean into it because living in LA is hard. There's this um, Instagram account called Overheard LA. It's hilarious. And I read this the other day. It says, Overheard LA just records people, what they hear in the line or at the, at the gym or whatever, and then they, they tweet it, you know, they put it on Instagram. And so at Overheard LA, this one guy says this. He's like, LA is like real-life Instagram living here. You're constantly seeing people living better lives than you. <laughs> living in LA is hard. Because everyone around, it seems like their lives are better than ours. See how our sin is our brand? It's our ego. It's comparing ourselves with others. And if God is going to do an amazing church renewal, church planting movement in LA, I think we want to deal with our core sin of our city, our ego, our brand, comparing ourselves with others. What can we do together to bless the city? What if in the midst of our insecurity that God's strength is enough, pouring through us, in us, in our place of work, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, wherever we live? And so I want to leave you with kind of three sub-questions of why are you in L.A.? And the first one is this. What is your strategic burden for the city? For me, the past eight years, it was in downtown L.A., but in every one of the 227 or whatever neighborhoods that make up the greater L.A. area, this metro region, I'm going to ask you, what is your strategic burden? Maybe for your neighborhood where you live. Or maybe your apartment, because if you're in an apartment in L.A., likely 90% of those people don't go to church either. And you're, you're bummed out like, I want to buy a house. And so I'm like, look, God has you in an apartment because that's where all the non-Christians live. Amen. For this season of life to engage, what is your strategic burden? For me, it was downtown L.A., but for you, it might be the entertainment industry. It might be Culver City. It might be Orange County. It might be the, the industrial industry or energy industry or social media, whatever that would be. What is your strategic calling? Because there's always going to be an opportunity to be a blessing. And it's going to connect usually with something that you like or something that you do well, some opportunity you have, something in you stirring. So what is that strategic peace, the strategic burden God has placed on you while you live in LA for this season? Just think about it. You might not know it yet, but this, that's a question. A second question, what is your biblical burden for the city? Now, I'm not going to uh, demand that you all have some kind of Bible verse that resonates with you, but I'm going to suggest that as long as you live in LA to have some kind of scripture that's kind of guiding your purpose this next year, or even could be your whole season. For me, the whole last eight years was Jeremiah 29, 7 11. Yours could be different, but be praying, God, it, what scripture are you impressing upon me for this season living in LA that is meant to be like a biblical burden? And you might already know, like, oh, that's why the Spirit's been impressing that verse upon me this whole last year. 
What's that biblical burden? So I asked about first the strategic burden for your city, for your neighborhood, your, your, your place of influence, and then a biblical burden. And then lastly, what's your personal burden? And I asked it that way because like the other speakers were saying, your story matters. Who are you? Your parents, your family, your upbringing, are you a transplant to LA? Did you, were you born here? Your personal story matters because I'm gonna ask you what motivates you to live in the city each day. Now, I had family roots down the street on 3rd Street and Hill Street. My family literally had a Chinese laundry in the 50s. It's torn down now, but that's my roots. So me coming back to LA had family roots and it. it wasn't just Tim Keller or whatever else. There was family roots here. Why are you here? What's your personal burden? But what, what's your personal reason? What was your dream for coming? What were your hopes? Your personal burden. So that takes self-reflection, taking time before the Lord and with others to say, I'm gonna open up my life and start thinking about why am I here? What, is, what am I called to do? A couple resources I wanna, I wanna 